preach to you this morning out of the Defining Moment series. The Defining Moment series. This will be our final sermon in this set of messages that have come from the life of David. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 11 today, verses 1 through 5. Sometimes we hear the expression true or false. Have you ever heard that, true or false? Maybe you've uh, had a quiz or a test back in the day that was true or false, and one little part of a statement can make an entire statement false. Those are probably my least favorite tests to take because if you aren't careful, you will overanalyze, or at least I will, and you'll think and think and think. And uh, there's a lot of interpretation there as to what did the person mean when they were writing it. And if you're not careful, you can label something false when you've read more into it than should have. Maybe you've heard myth or fact, myth or fact, true or false, or maybe an optical illusion. You ever had an optical illusion? You've, something looks to be one thing, only to dig into it a little bit deeper to realize what you thought was this is actually something else. There's a whole place in Gatlinburg that is uh, centered around optical illusions. Ripley's, believe it or not, at the top of the street in Gatlinburg. I've never been there. I've walked by there several times. I've been to the fudge shop that's just down the street (laughs) from there. Oh, it's a great, great place. If you ever go by there, pick one up that has the walnuts in it and bring it back to me. You'll be, you'll be high on my list, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but at the top of the street is the Ripley's, believe it or not. And there are optical illusions. There are things, outstanding, outlandish things in there. Some of which are true, believe it. Some of which are false, believe it not. And so that whole museum, that whole activity is centered around a fact or a, or a myth. Or how about this slogan, what you see is what you get. That's, that's not always true. What you see, what you get. I, I, have, I have pulled in a lot of restaurants, let me tell you, that have pictures. You know how they put the big posters out on the windows, right? And it has this beautiful plate or platter of food or this beautiful big sandwich. And you go in. I'm telling you, what you see isn't always what you get. And you order that, and it doesn't look anything <laughs> like that poster or that picture. What, what you see is not always what you get. Well, today, that, that is exactly what it is like when it comes to sin. When it comes to sin, what you see is definitely not what you get. Sin will present itself as glamorous. Sin will present itself as entertaining Sin will present itself as appealing and wonderful and great, but what you see is not what you get. Sin only brings, ultimately, death, disappointment, disheartenment, destruction. All of those things eventually come from sin. What you see is definitely not what you get. Today we're going to see that in this story of King David. We have reached the point now where David is now the king. He is fully established as the king. We talked about him last year, last week as being the king. He is the king. But let's look at this story from 2 Samuel chapter 11 verses 1 through 5. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle. 
that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David, watch this last part of this verse, but David remained at Jerusalem. This was a time when all of the the nations as such of the known world would go out to fight, fight for territory, fight for water rights, fight to protect themselves against kingdoms that were growing. Whatever the reason might be, it was offensive, but it was also defensive in protecting themselves and establishing themselves in, in the land and all of those things. And I see something here in verse 1 already that is troubling to me. David, who was the giant killer and the bear and the lion killer, and David, who acted in such integrity while Saul was trying to kill him, he is now the king. But we come to a point here in 2 Samuel chapter 11 where David sends out Joab. David sends out his servants. David sends out the armies to go and fight and to do what was needed to be done. But we find David, the last part there, David remained at Jerusalem. For some reason, King David did not go and do what King David was supposed to do. Only he could be the king. Only he could be the one to truly lead his country. But for some reason, we find David, this man that we think so highly of and so accomplished. A man even that the Bible called at one point, a man after God's own heart. Why did David stay at Jerusalem? Why was David not doing what David was supposed to be And look at verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Can I say to us this morning he would have never seen Bathsheba bathing had he been doing what he was supposed to be doing as the king. Look at verse 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, took Bathsheba, and she came to him. And he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David... And said, David, I am with child. We see a story here of King David. Not where he should have been. Not out fighting like he should have fought. Instead, he's up in the room somewhere in the palace. Maybe scanning through Netflix. Trying to binge watch some episode of something. I don't know. But David was not doing what David was supposed to be doing. He gets bored. What does the Bible say about idle hands? Right? He gets bored and for some reason goes out on the roof and begins pacing around. And as David is pacing around, he looks over and he sees an innocent woman. Bathsheba is not at fault here. All Bathsheba was doing in the, what she thought was the privacy of her own home, taking a bath. But David sees her. As he's pacing back and forth on the roof. And David sees that she is beautiful. 
Now, there's nothing wrong in the sense of him thinking that maybe someone is beautiful. But what got David was the second glance. Can I tell us this morning, as humans and as Christians, we will be tempted. Write that down somewhere. I will be tempted. Email it to yourself. Am I the only one that texts to themselves? Nobody else ever texts me, so I just have to text my... No. I text myself sometimes and remind myself of this or don't forget that. Well, text yourself today and say, I will be tempted. You can look in the book of James. You can read through the book of James and see how that every man and woman were pulled away and we are enticed by temptation. Now, my temptation may not be the same as your temptation, right? Sometimes I have, have dealt with folks or I've seen people maybe fall into sin because of a temptation. And personally, I've thought, I don't get it. I don't get why that temptation trips that person up so much. I just don't get it. You know why I don't get it? Because that's not why I'm tempted by. That's not what I'm weak in. But the enemy, the devil who is after each of us, he knows our weaknesses, So the enemy is not going to tempt me in an area of which I am strong. He's going to tempt me in the area where I am the weakest. And he knows my weakness. He knows your weakness. And he knew David's weakness. Now, I was blaming the fact that David had not been out fighting like he was supposed to be fulfilling his duty for him falling into this temptation. That is true, but if you really study out the life of David, you see that the man did have a problem. He collected wives. <laughs> Let me tell you this morning, if you're collecting, well, he collected wives. <laughs> if you study out the story of David, you will see that God told him, and God's design is for one man, one woman. Somebody ought to say amen to that in this society. He had told David, take one woman. But if you read, you will see that David had collected quite the harem of women. Shows me that the boy had a problem in the area of women. So you see, David had a problem that was rooted and kept growing and kept growing. Then David wasn't doing his duty like he was supposed to do. And then the enemy took advantage of both of those things. And David finds himself on a roof seeing a lady that is bathing and she is beautiful. Now just seeing her by accident is one thing. But what got David was when he took the second glance. In the book of James, it says that we're all tempted according to our own lust. But then it goes on to say, but when lust has conceived, then it brings forth sin. And then sin, when it has its full course, brings forth death. What I'm preaching to us this morning, it's not a sin to be tempted, but when we take the the second look. When we let lust conceive. Am I preaching all right this morning? You see, David could have seen her. He could have thought, oh my. But he could have turned around and said, Lord, forgive me. He could have walked back into his room, shut the door, pulled the blinds, and got out of Dodge. It's when we take that second look. It's when we take that second thought. It's when we take that second consideration. It's then that we start moving into that sin and into that trap that the devil 
have placed for us. But David fell into what I've called a sin snowball. Sin that is not confessed and dealt with in our lives will become a snowball and produce a snowball effect in our lives. David went back into his bedroom and he could not get her off of his mind. He should have prayed through. He should have gone to one of his own. He should have gotten with his wife. He should have done any number of things practically and spiritually that he did not do. But he kept on thinking and considering the matter. So much so that then he started planning out his sin Can I tell you this morning that I can't go in my backyard and just jump in the swimming pool? First, I don't have a swimming pool. Probably wouldn't work. First, I have to dig a hole, right? I've got to dig a hole. I watched this process. Our neighbor just put in an in-ground pool. My favorite neighbor now. Just put in an in-ground pool. And I watched it out of my bedroom window and listened to it for months and months. And they had to dig the hole. And then they had to pour the concrete. And then they had to smooth things out. And then there was an infrastructure, a filter system, and all these things that had to be put in. And then one day I saw a truck over there with a big tank on it. And they were filling it up with water. And the other week when we had a neighbor's get-together, my youngest one jumped into that pool and swam in that water. What are you trying to say, Pastor? It's the same thing with sin in our lives. We don't usually just jump right in and fall right into sin. We dig the hole. Come on, somebody. (laughs) We dig the hole, right? Then we pour the concrete, and then we smooth it all out, and then we put the filter system in, and then we have a big truck come in, and we fill it up with water, and then we jump in the sin. What I'm trying to say to all of us, yes, we can be tempted But God has given all of us a way of escape. We don't have to dig the hole. We don't have to pour the concrete. If you're mixing the concrete right now, you can stop. You can put it away. You can walk away from that sin. Walk away from that temptation. But David sat in his room and he mulled over and over and couldn't get this lady off of his mind. And then he sent somebody and he said, go find out. Oh, it won't hurt to just find out a little bit. Find out about this lady. What's her name? What, what's she like? You know, What's her favorite color? I don't know. We do ourselves harm when we start looking at the details of the sin that we're being tempted. Oh, I just want to find out a little bit more because I, I just kind of want to know what I gave up for God. No, you're considering the sin. <laughs> David sent the man, find out some more about her. One of David's men came back to him, and I think he was trying as delicately and as subtly as he could before the king. Remember, David is the king. But you notice in the passage, he said to David, she is Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Hello, she's Uriah's wife. That should have rang a bell, ding, 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 in David's head. How many times in our lives when maybe we're heading towards a sin, maybe we've already stepped into some sin and we're heading in a snowball effect that God will put some people into our lives. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a grandparent, maybe it's a teacher or a pastor or a friend or a a family member or a church friend and 
Just like they did to David. We don't always get up in everybody's grill and say, you better stop it. But sometimes we ought to listen to what people are trying to say to us. And maybe with love they're trying to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? Maybe with love they might be saying, maybe you ought to pray about that. Maybe you ought to step back away from that. And I believe this man was put in David's life by God. And David could have listened as he said, she is Bathsheba. Uriah, the Hittite's wife. And had David listened to his friend, if David had listened to his loyal man, then he could have stopped this, repented there, and saved him and his family and her family a whole lot of heart, ache and heart break. But that didn't stop David. He had pushed the self-destruct button. And I want to tell every one of us, and I'll tell myself this morning, this flesh is weak. This flesh is weak. And we can find ourselves in patterns of attitudes, patterns of decisions, patterns of behaviors, that if we aren't careful, we just keep stepping, 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 even though we really deep down know we shouldn't be. Our flesh is weak. David sent back, and he had Bathsheba brought to him He slept with her. He had relation with her. He had pleasure with her. The Bible said there is pleasure in sin before a season. He had pleasure with her. No doubt in my mind he had great pleasure. But then one day, sometime later, a pregnancy test was taken. Unbeknownst to King David. And he gets a text on his phone. Maybe he had forgotten about this little fling. He had caught up in the kingdom affairs and he had moved on to other things and he thought he had gotten by with it. He gets a text that reads, David, I am with child. David, I am pregnant. And David, you're the baby daddy. Right? I believe that was probably a pretty bad day. In David's life. And David at that point could have knelt before God. Right? He could have knelt before God and said, oh God, I have sinned against you. I have sinned so badly that a child now is going to be born. That that, uh, the lady is married to, to someone else. And what am I going to do? I need your help. Forgive me. Please forgive me. Please help me. Please help me to do the right thing now. I know the egg is scrambled. But you can help me put some of it back together and move away from this. But David didn't do that. David didn't do that. He had gone down the slippery slope. Of sin, and instead of owning it, instead of manning up to it, David sins for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Where was Uriah? Uriah was out fighting like David should have been, right? Uriah had more loyalty than the king. Uriah, in this part of the story and in this part of David's life, Uriah had more dignity than the king. Uriah was more pleasing before God than the king. David sends for Uriah. Bring him back from the battlefield. And David thought that he had the perfect plan to cover up all of this mess. 
It was kind of like those old soap operas that come on in the middle of the day on television that I hope none of you watch. But this whole story reads kind of like that. He brings Uriah back. And he says, I'm giving you a little time off. I'm the king. You take a little break. You go on home. Spend the, spend the weekend. Spend some time with your wife. and Enjoy yourself. Uriah said, I cannot go in to my wife and to my house while my brothers in arms are out on the battlefield fighting, some of them losing their lives. I can't do it. And out of honor and out of dignity for his country and for his fellow man, Uriah slept on the porch, if you will. He slept at the doorstep. He wouldn't go in. David has a problem. I'll tell you, sin will cause problems and it'll cause more problems than we could ever imagine. And those problems beget more problems and problems beget more problems. That's why the Bible over and over and over warns us against sin. Uriah wouldn't go in the house. David gets Uriah drunk. You would think that by now David would repent. You would think that David would change his course of direction. You would think that even Uriah's dignity and dignified example would somehow say, Whoa, 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 wait a minute, I'm better than this. David gets Uriah drunk, tries to get him to go into his house because he knows that nature would run its course and then he would have everything covered up. Even drunk. Now this is sad. This is what sin will do to us. Even drunk, Uriah had more character than David. Wouldn't go in. Wouldn't go in. Plan A didn't work. So David goes to plan B. He writes a letter to Uriah's leader on the military field. Folds it up, sends it. Sends Uriah back. The letter said, basically, you put Uriah on the front lines of fighting. And when the battle gets tough and it gets really hot, you pull everybody back. Now, I don't know. Was David trying to find a little loophole here? He didn't quite say kill him. But David knew what would happen. You know, we, we start getting into sin. We start justifying things that we would have. Come on, somebody. We start justifying things that we never, ever would have justified before. We start finding loopholes where there aren't loopholes. We start justifying this, covering up that. And David's like, you just, you know, I'm not going to kill him outright. But you just pull him back and then we'll let the enemy do my dirty work for me. Basically, David was murdering him. David was trying to make it a little look a little less blood on his hands, but David was murdering him. David was murdering him because he had had an affair with his wife. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will cause you to make decisions that you never, ever thought you would before, and that was what was happening in David's life. And now Uriah is dead. David goes on with living. But God hadn't forgot what had happened. And one day God sent the man of God, Nathan, the prophet Nathan, to the king, to David. And the prophet Nathan tells David a 
heart-wrenching story about a man who had very little and about a man who had a whole lot. And this man that had a whole lot took from the man that had very little, killed everything else that he had. And David was furious. That man should be killed. How dare someone act like that? How dare somebody do like that? And Nathan, the man of God, the prophet of God, pointed his finger at the king and said, Thou art the man. You are the man. And judgment had come to David that day. God didn't want to bring judgment. God had put things in place. This whole cycle, this whole snowball that we've seen over and over and over again, God was trying to extend grace and mercy to David. Over and over and over again, God was trying to say, stop, 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 stop. But David wouldn't stop. I ask us in our lives, are there things in our lives that the Lord is trying to speak to us about, whether it be through somebody that says something to us or something in our conscience or the Holy Spirit is dealing with us or the Word of God, what we're doing doesn't measure up to the Word of God. Whatever it is, are there things in our lives where over and over and over God is trying to say, stop, please, stop, please, stop. Sin is not Okay, somebody say amen to that. Sin is not okay. You know, possibly the rest of the story along with this. Bathsheba gave birth to the child. David fasted and prayed and cried and wept. But the child died. Part of the judgment of God. The Bible also says that the sword never left. From David's house. His great failures in that season of life caused problems for children and grandchildren on down the line. Well, each week as we've gone through this series, I've tried to give you some practical things before we end it with a spiritual note. And I'll do no differently this morning. I want to tell you some things that went wrong in this story. Let me give you three points One was this, David was not where he was supposed to be. We can learn from these. David was not where he was supposed to be. Number two, David took a second glance. He looked again at the temptation and started considering it. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. David took a second glance. And the third, David allowed sin to snowball in his life. What was first lust, then became covetousness. I want her. I want her. What was covetous, then became adultery. What was adultery, then became murder. David allowed the sin to snowball in his life. Sin that is not confessed and taken care of will always lead to more sin. And the consequences that come about from that will always lead to more consequences. Those are three things that went wrong. But since you're the advanced group today, I've got three more myths that I want to share with you before we close with a beautiful passage of Scripture. Three myths. Remember we talked about the optical illusions and myths and things at the beginning of the sermon. Here's Here's the first one, okay? Three myths. This one is God is all right 
with sin. God is okay with sin. No. There is a hyper-grace movement in the church world today. Hyper-grace movement. It says, I'm a believer, but it doesn't really matter how I live. Oh, I beg to differ. Beg to differ. Actually, I don't beg to differ. Word of God begs to differ. Right? Pastor Brad and I are doing a little challenge right now. We've, we've got spiritual goals, and we've got practical goals, and we've got physical goals, and just educational goals, and we're challenging each other for 90 days. The one that is just rocking my world is... I'm drinking nothing but water. So you pray for me. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. That's one of my goals. But one of, one of my goals was to listen to, and I'm four chapters away from finish. I have four more chapters in Revelation, and Brad has finished his part. We're listening through the entire New Testament, and then we're going to read 10 books, and we're going to do that in the 90 days. That's part of our goals. But as I have listened to the New Testament. I have loved listening to it because you can go faster and especially when you go through the epistles, you can, you can think very quickly of what you heard the day before and what you've heard in the epistle before. And can I tell you, congregation, what I hear over and over and over in the epistles, the ones that Peter wrote, the ones that John wrote, the ones that Paul wrote, what I hear over and over is this warning against sin. And largely they are writing to believers. Sin in the life of a believer is not all right. It's not okay. First John says, if we sin, we should what? Confess our sin to God who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number one myth, it is not, God is not okay with sin. Number two, here's another myth. I can get by with my sin. I can get by with my sin. Let me say it a different way. I can sin and, in, and avoid any consequence. I can sin and avoid any consequence. Can I tell you, we always have consequences to sin. Some are intended, some are unintended, some are direct, and we see them very clearly. Other consequences are indirect, and we may have to look and examine and think back a little bit, but Sin always has consequences. Here's the third myth. I want you to really listen to this one. And then we're going to read Psalm 51, some of it, and pray. Listen to this. My sin doesn't hurt anybody else. Boy, that's a lie. I said at 9 o'clock, I said that is a lie that's just really out of the pits of hell. There are so many even good people, people that you love, that I love, that we've met a long life journey, that have made comments before that said, I, I sin, I know I'm not living right, but that doesn't hurt anybody else. That's a myth. That is such a myth, that is such a lie, a, a, a devil lie, Satan-inspired lie. My sin does hurt other people. Our example our example is always seen. If I'm sinning, there are people who are watching my life. My example is seen by others. And my influence, your influence, is always felt by others. 
Does my sin only affect me? No. Does your sin only affect you? No. And usually the ones who are impacted the most are the ones who are the closest to us. As I preach to this church, this congregation this morning, and I, you know, we talk about our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. We pray about that, and, and we want to see the faith passed on, and we want to see the children of this church and the children of this community and all those things. But I remind all of us that our example is important. Our influence is important as individuals. And, and if we're sinning, if we're doing through those things, the people that are the closest to us are being impacted. Here's the good news of the day. God does not leave us in our sin if we'll come to him and confess our sin. Look at Psalm 51, 10 through 12. This is the prayer I want us to pray this morning as, as individuals today. This beautiful chapter 51 of Psalm, you may want to this week sometime read the entirety of Psalm 51, but I'm just going to share about three verses from it today. This is after David has been confronted with his sin and David has finally come to his senses. David is finally repenting and he prays this beautiful prayer of repentance. Create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit or a steadfast spirit or a, let me say it this way, a righteously steadfast spirit. Within me, put me back on the track the right way that I'll be steadfast in within me, creating me a pure heart, a steadfast, a righteous spirit within me. Verse 11 Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me this morning? God, indeed, as we have heard this word. Lord, indeed, as we know that there is a sin problem, but we know that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to forgive us from our sins. Lord, I pray this morning that if there is any that are seated here today that do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God would begin to witness to them and begin to draw them to repentance and that they would come and they would be born again, regenerated by your blood, by your work on the cross. Lord, I pray that those of us today that are believers, Lord, I pray that you would remind us by this word today, remind us by the Holy Spirit today, that sin is not okay in our lives, but that you have promised us that if we sin, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, today we have read just a portion of this beautiful prayer that David prayed where he finally realized that he had gotten away from who he really was. He had, he had forgotten the anointed man of God 
that he really was. He had forgotten how you had moved upon him as a young child and anointed him and, and blessed him and, and that great integrity that he carried with him all through his young life and even into young adulthood. But somehow he had gotten gone astray. I pray this morning, if there is somebody seated here this morning or somebody watching online, that they know that they've had an experience with you. They know that you have a promise for their life. They have even felt your Holy Spirit. They have even maybe been used by you and by the Holy Spirit. But today, they know that they have strayed off of the path. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of reconciliation. Today... Lord, speak to them to know that they can come back, confess their sins, be forgiven, and a righteous spirit can be renewed in their heart and in their lives. That you can restore the joy of their salvation. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to do the altar call this morning. You ask, we ask you to deal with every heart and every life that it is in this building or might be watching online. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Forgive our sins. Take not away thy Holy Spirit from me. Help us today, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.